We're going to turn in our Bibles to Joshua chapter 3 verses 1 to 8. Joshua chapter 3 verses 1 to 8. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. So it's about the sixth book in, I suppose. So from the front of your Bible, it's about the sixth book in. And it actually gives us a a great um, overview, a story of uh, how the Israelites were entering into the promised land. Now, last we've been dealing with this possessed the land for a number of weeks now, and I want to continue on and talk to you about um, the way God is building us into a people. You remember, um, as the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were fairly uh, broken, if you like. They were from all over the place, and they traveled out and in mass into the, into the wilderness. And God had a job to do something with them. They were all fractured, they weren't uh, disciplined, they weren't uh, together in their minds. By the time he was taking them through the desert to the promised land, he had to form a people, he had to form a nation, he had to uh, form a a people who were thinking together and working together and and worshipping together. He had to form a people from this group of uh, broken people. So they were slaves, they'd come out of Egypt and they were fairly... uh, um, dispersed in their thinking, and God pulled them together through the promise, uh, through through the uh, through the Israelite uh, through the, um, the 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 desert land. He pulled them together, he pulled their minds together, he pulled their hearts together. So all the tribes started to work together. By the time they got to this part, they were a group, they were a, a nation, they were a nation with a purpose, they were a nation with a goal, they were a nation that had leadership, they were a nation that were doing, going to do something for God. They, had, they, they weren't a, a rabble of broken people any longer, they were a people who had gone through 40 years of training and 40 years of discipline and 40 years of uh, being led by the Spirit of God, being uh, shown the grace of God, receiving the mercy of God. God gone through 40 years and now they came to the promised land. They were a group. They were one. They were a one people. In fact, we find out if we go on in the book of Joshua that when the, you see independence and individuality breaking out in the ranks, that's when you see problems having. When they think like a group and act like a group and walk like a group, they, they're invincible. It's when they break off into their own little thing, do their own little thing. That's when you see problems start to occur in the, in, in the people of Israel. So God has been building these people into a nation. So about 2 million of them fronted to the promised land. About 2 million in army. 2 million tribes set out before them. The, 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 um, the view of that as they were coming toward you would have been awesome. You think about 2 million people in tents sitting in front of you not, and in order. Everything in order, everything done. It would have been a fearful thing. And we know that uh, the people in Jericho, they were really frightened by what they saw. They knew that God was with these people and they knew as they walked towards the promised land, they knew that trouble was coming because they looked like they were together, they looked like they were one and they were clearly disciplined in their whole approach. So in the same way, God does that with each local church. I suppose God takes us as a local church through many difficulties. We go through many situations in life that are there to form us together. You may be here for the first time today, but this church has not been here for the first time today. This church has been here for many years. And as we've gone through the years, God has started to do a work of discipline to bring us together, to make us think like one unit, 
to think like one people. Because he has a plan for us. He has a plan for us to take us to a place that we haven't been before. He has a plan to take us and give us victories. But he's taking us not just individually, he's taking us as a group together. And so you may be here just recently and you find that this is is a group, it's sort of half broken and half... No, it's a form discipline group, a group that that wants to be here, a group that works together and, and, and it's achieving something for God. God has been doing a work. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we read these words. But you, uh, so 1 Peter is in the New Testament. It's towards the back of the New Testament. If you're just writing it down, just write it down. If you're going to look it up, look it up now. But um, you'll find your concordance is a great place to start if you're going to look. And so, who, who brought their Bible with them? Who didn't bring their Bible with them? Put your hand up if you didn't bring it. That's okay. Just bring it next week. Let me show you something. For those who, for those who are just uh, approaching this book, and saying, well, where do I start? Where do I start? It's always good to start at the front, like um, in the front. And if you start at the front, you go past the church records and the marriages and all that sort of stuff, and all the handwriting and everything, and you get to what they call a contents page. Something like that. And when you get to the contents page, and I say it's in First Peter, and I say it's the New Testament, you look for the New Testament, and it usually has, uh, that's not the contents page. That's not an alphabetical order. Oh, that's an it's, uh, yeah, it's here, Peter. <laughs> there it is. There it is. It's in Dutch, is it? <laughs> Double touch. You look for it, and it gives you a page number. Once you've got the page number there, you flick over, and you find it, and you'll find First Peter at the back there. Then you go that. So I know it's a bit slow. Uh, but I'd encourage you to do that. And the re- reason why I want to encourage you to do that, and I haven't put the, the reference, the, the, what it's written there, is because I want you to learn how to get around your Bible. Because when you're here on Sunday, we'll shoot the, th- the, 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 um, the Scripture up onto the board there. But, but when you're at home, you need to know, like, know how to get around the 66 books that make up the Bible. Where to find yourself around it? How to get to it? You know, I said you. I looked at that when I was in the in the bar, in, in church, and I looked through, and there it is, First Peter. That's right. It was at, at the end of the, and you get to know to get your way around the Bible. So, so do that. Spend some time bringing your Bible to church. I got mine in my bag there, and I should really have it here so I could. Thanks, Alan. Spend some time. Look it. Look it up. And 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 um, use it because what the more you use it the better it is for you, you know? The better and easier it is for you to get around later on. So, just a little encouragement. So let's read this passage of Scripture in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And this is what it says. Peter says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's talking about the church. And he's talking about the local church as well. We, this is the church um, universal all those who believe in Jesus, but it's also the local church. We are chosen people. We are a holy nation, his own special people that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So God has done a work in us. He's taken us out of Egypt. He's taken us out of the world. He's taken us away from our sinfulness, and he's taken all the guilt of our sin away and he's cleansed our hearts and given us his new life and he's pulled us all together and says, you're not meant to be alone. You're not meant to be walking this journey alone. You're meant to be walking this with another 
lot of people. So I'm making you into a family. And he's called us a family. That we're the family of God. And we all have part in that body to play. And so we're going to read now from Joshua. And we're going to just have a look at what this, how this works out in Joshua's life and the parallels that it has in ours. So we're reading from Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 to 8 today. So then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel, and they lodged there before the, they crossed over. So here they are coming towards the promised land. He's got up in the morning. He's obviously let them all know there's two million people. So imagine letting two million people know what you're doing. So think of the logistics of it. Get, this, is, this is not just a small number of people. This is two million people fronting. So he's got them out there. He's let them know, get up, get, get ready, let's get moving. So this place would just be a stir. Tents would be moving, tents would be packing down, people would be getting themselves ready, cattle would be mowing, mooing, uh, the cows would be uh, lowing away, the, the sheep bleeding. Everything, they've got cattle and sheep with them and everything's going. Everything has to move now. Just imagine if it was, yeah, I'll do it when I want to do it. Don't you tell me what to do. Uh, I mean, this is not going to work, okay? Two million people have to work together to achieve what they want to achieve. So this is what's happened. He says, and he and all the children of Israel, they all moved and they lodged there before they crossed over. So they all moved towards the, they all moved from where they were and they all moved to the Jordan River. Stop. They were a unit. They were one. Even though there were many of them, they were one. And so it was there, they were there for three days and the officers went through the camp. So he must have had quite a number of officers to go through the camp to talk to them, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them, since you have never traveled this way before, and they will guide you. Now, the Levitical priesthood, the Bible says that we are a kingdom of priests, so every one of us is a priest toward God. It's not a select few of us. You know, you say, oh, well, he's the pastor, and this is the pastor, and this is the pastor, so we're the pastors of the church. Yeah, that's our pastoral ministry. That's the, that's the gifting that we have. But the Bible says, you are all priests. Every one of you are priests, priestess. You are. You're all. So you are all a pastor, if you like, to the world. That's your flock, the world. This is where we all live. This is where we get our training. But we're all priests. We're all priests in God. We're all ministers to God. Every one of us, everyone that believes in Jesus Christ is a minister to Jesus Christ. A nation of priests, not just a tribe of priests within a nation, no, a nation of priests. Well, anyway, they just had the Levitical priesthood there. Now we have everybody who's a priest. So this kind of speaks to us. We're kind of like the guys who are carrying the ark. We're kind of the ones who are carrying the presence of God. We carry the presence of God in our life. He says, when they move out from their positions and... Fo- you follow them. So the, the children of Israel were sitting there and they were watching the priests. The priests were guys who were dressed in these um, long um, robes and they had earpods and hats and, and the uniform on. And they picked up the ark, which was like a big box, a golden box with angels on top of it. And they lifted it up on their shoulder and everybody would watch. As soon as they saw the ark moving, that was their cue. They knew they had to move too. When that thing moved, they moved with it. That was the, that was the presence of God. That was the, the center. God resided there and God was saying, here I am, I'm living here and when I move, you move with me. And so 
He says, and they will, you, you've never traveled that place before. He says, so you need to follow them. He says, and they will guide you. So I want to look at the willingness to move, the readiness to move, and the willingness to follow. God stirs our hearts every Sunday to do something. This morning, the Holy Spirit stirred our hearts to cast our care upon him for he cares for us. Well, how did he do that? Well, he took somebody young like Rachel and he he did a little miracle in Rachel's life and Rachel came up and shared. And just very gently, the Holy Spirit said, you know what? If you've got heavy burdens on your life, cast them on me. He said, are you willing to follow? Are you willing to move? So the Holy Spirit starts to speak to us and says, you know, let's move together. Let's be ready to move when the Holy Spirit wants you to move. Be ready to do what God wants you to do. It's like inside, you know, what are we going to do as a people? What are we going to do as a church? And the Holy Spirit says, well, you're my people. You're my church. So when I come here on Sunday, I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to get you ready to move. Getting ready to move. Being willing to, to get up from where you are. You see, the tribe was sitting there. All the tribes were sitting there. And then they saw the priest moving. They had to be ready. You can't, oh, look, we're still playing soccer at the back here. You know, our boys and the boys of uh, the Gibeon tribe are all having a match. Why are they moving now? It's not, it's not convenient for us, for us to move right now. How about you just go on ahead and uh, uh, we'll catch up later on. Well, you know what would happen if they moved on ahead and they, they would be slaughtered because there are other people around them what, like wolves ready to take them out. They were all ready to move. So the whole of the two million people were sitting there watching ready. As soon as it started to move, they okay, pack it up, let's get up, let's go. They're all ready to go. That's what God is doing with us as a people. He's getting us ready to move. He says, are you willing to move? Are you willing to follow? Well, where are we going, Mark? Well, what do you, what do you got planned to do? Well, I really don't know. I've never been there before. Where we're going as a fellowship, I couldn't tell you where we're going to go because I've not been there before. But I know that if we move with the Holy Spirit, we'll get to where we're going. But we've all got to move together. It's not convenient for me to move. Well, maybe you ought to get ready to move with us because we're a team here now. We spent years trying to become a team. Now we're a team. We're ready to move. Let's move with God. And if you come into the place and you say, oh, I've only been here a couple of weeks, you can feel we're together now. Let's move together. Let's achieve something together. And the willingness to follow, because we've never been to where God is wanting to take us. I've never been there. I've been at other churches and I've seen other things, but what God does is fresh every day. What God does in our fellowship is going to be new to this fellowship. It's not going to be the same. It's, not, it's no ritual here. Like we're not going to come here on Sunday and this is the thing that we do every Sunday. God is taking us someplace as a fellowship. He's taking us to someplace. We started LSM, Life Skill Ministries, what, a few, uh, uh, last year. And there's new folk in the fellowship now. That, that are there because we started something new. We've got street work that's going on and, and people are coming into the fellowship because of their involvement in the street work and that's because it's a new place and God has got new ideas that he's, he's birthing in people's lives. It's going to take us to a new place. We've never been there before and the Holy Spirit says, come on, come on, let's move together. Let's move together as a unit. He says, stay about a half a mile behind them, keeping clear distance between you and the ark so the ark was going out there in front of them. So you had the priests and they were carrying this, this golden uh, box and uh, the presence of God was there. And he said, now don't get too close to that thing. You know how that thing bites you. You've got to have some respect. 
And so you said, he said to them, let the priests go in front and you hang back a half a mile. You watch them from a distance. Don't get caught in the crush. You stay back and take your time. And so the priests would move out. And here's that place where the fear of God is such an important thing. We're not here because, you know, it's just, we're here because this is not just a churchy club. We're here because God is here. We think about our lives. We think, where would we be if we didn't have God in our lives? What would we be doing if God hadn't been there in our lives, if God didn't save us? Where would I be if God had not redeemed me? What would I be doing? I'd be still bound in my sin and I would be caught somewhere else. I'd be in a terrible place. What, what would happen to your life if God had not been in your life, Rosa? If God had not saved you and brought you to this place? But God is here. And we know that he's here and he loves us, but he's a fearful God. And that, you know, he will discipline us when we do. And he loves us because then he will straighten us up and correct us. And we, we're respectful and love him. The fear of God, we heard last week from David, he says it's one of the most, if you go through the book of Proverbs and, and look for the fear of the Lord and look at the promises after, that come after it, he that fears the Lord, it's the beginning of wisdom. You know? And all the promises that are related to the fear of God, amazing, absolutely amazing. So then he says to them, okay, you're ready to move? Are you going to follow? And they say, yeah, we're going to remove, we're going to follow. He says, well, then Joshua told his people, purify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Now, that's an interesting statement because in some Bibles it says consecrate yourself, which means to set yourself apart. Well, we know that the people of God were already set apart, but he's saying clean yourself up. God is going to do some great work tomorrow, future, but you need to clean yourself up. Fix yourself up. Get ready for that. Now, sometimes we want God to work in spite of us. Isn't that the way? Oh, God, will you do a great miracle? And as long as I can just sit here on the lounge and, and watch the TV and just do everything else that I usually do, don't do anything different, you know, just live in my own life. But just do the work. And when you're doing the work, and then I'll get going, you know. Uh, no, God didn't actually say that to the children of Israel. He said, hey, hey if you want to come where we're going... Part of the preparatorial work is for you to purify your heart, to clean yourself up. Fix it up. He said, get your heart right. You got yourself ready to move. Everything's in its bags. Everything's in, in the cart. Everything's moving. Everything's ready to go. You're all ready. He said, now look at your heart. Look inside yourself. Get your heart ready. He says, clean your heart up because I'm going to do some amazing things tomorrow. I wonder about how much we miss out on God because we don't clean our hearts up. God says to us, you know, clean up your heart. I want to do something amazing in your life. You think, you know, but, you know, I like watching uh, those TV shows or I like reading that magazines or I like doing that. He says, you know, what I want you to do is I want you to put that aside. I want you to focus on me because if you're focusing in on me and you keep, I'm going to do some amazing things tomorrow. I, 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 I think... Sometimes we miss out on so much because we fail to clean our hearts up, ready for God to move. You know, as he said, you clean and I'll move. You clean and I move. It's like your mum, isn't it? Clean your bedroom and then we'll go out somewhere. You think, how many outings have we missed as a family because... 
I never cleaned my room. Well, we're not going out because your room's not clean. If you had cleaned your room, then we would go out. Go and clean your room up. Once your room is done, we'll go to SeaWorld. Come here. No SeaWorld today. No trip today. Why? Room's still in a mess. How many trips have we missed out in God because we didn't clean the, clean the room? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? He's going to do great wonders tomorrow if you clean your heart. So the idea of purifying your heart is to consecrate or to cleanse yourself. And, and that whole idea is repeated again in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. And I'm going to read it to you. It says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So what he's saying there, what, Peter is, uh, what, what uh, Paul is saying there to Timothy, he says, this is a sure foundation. God knows those who are his. So turn to the person beside you and said, God knows whether you belong to him. You got it? Turn to the person and say, God knows whether you belong to him. Yeah, you might think that you belong to God. You might say, I belong to God. I'm a Christian. But God knows whether you belong to him. This is the sure foundation. God knows. And then he says, if you really do belong to him, you'll be willing to clean the house. If, you're willing, if, you, if you really do belong to him, you're willing to clean the house. If you don't belong to him, you won't clean your bedroom. God knows those who are his. This is the seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Iniquity is a word that means evil, sinful things. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. So he says, this is a great house. There's a lot of people here. There are lots of vessels in this house. There are some for honor. Oh, here's a beautiful couple. And they're vessels for honor. Why? They're going to stand in front. He's going to play the bass. And she's going to play the piano. And it's all very honorable. So they are vessels for honor. And there are some people who are vessels for dishonor. Why? Well, Mark, you've got to clean that head of yours. Well, you go and clean now. After everybody's left, clean, make sure you clean the floors and set the tables and do. Not really honorable thing to do, but someone's got to clean the toilets. I'd do that for Jesus any day. You see, there are vessels that do good things and there are vessels to do that ignoble things, they call them. Not so good things, but they're all God's vessels. And he says, if you want to do some noble stuff, he says, you've got to clean your life a little bit. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and used for the, for the master, prepared for every good work. So God says, clean your heart, clean the house up because I've got some great things I want to do tomorrow. You say, well, you know, I wish that I could play the piano and I wish that I could play the bass like Krista and like uh, Ben do that. You know, that would be really honorable to do that. He says, well, clean your life and maybe focus in on God and, and maybe God will give you something honorable to do. I don't think I've got anything honorable to do. I just sweep the floors. 
Well, Mark, you know, sort yourself out and God will give you something honourable to do. Something so you don't have to just sweep the floors all your time. <laughs> You'll be a vessel of honour. So God is actually looking at us to do the work. Now, I, I incubate quail eggs. They're like a chicken's egg, but they're much smaller than a chicken. And I noticed something about those chicken eggs the other day. I went there this morning and looked at them. There was one chicken egg this morning in the, in the, in the hatching that had tried to get out but didn't get out. It died in its shell. So, you know, think about this. It takes 14 days, no, actually 17 days for a chicken, quail, baby quail, to reach fullness in the egg. 17 days. At about day 14, I take them out of their little rocker that rocks them and I put them in a little tray that sits still. And for the next three days, the little, little fella inside the egg, he, he gets there and he gets himself ready to hatch. It's very small and it's very crowded inside that shell. Very small and crowded inside that shell. About day 16, he says, it's so crowded in here, I've got to get out. And he pecks with his beak like that. And cheap, cheap on the side of the shell. He makes a hole in the side of the shell. And then he begins to proceed to make holes right beside the next hole. He turns around inside the shell like this. until he's broken right round the top of the egg. He's still not free. He's still crowded. He's still inside the shell. He's still, ah, I've got, I got to possess the land. I've got some scratching to do. And I can't get out of the shell. I'm stuck in the shell here. I've got to exert some pressure. And he's got these two little legs that he pushes on. Boof, like that. And he pushes hard. And you see the top of the shell go up like that, you see. And he pushes again. Oh, and he... Up like that again. And he pushes again. Oh, and he goes up like that. Now, there are a lot of factors that, that play to get that chicken out of that egg. The chicken has got to want to get out of the egg. The chicken has got to want to be scratching around. The chicken has got to hear the cheeps of the others and say, I want to get out. And that flock, I want to get out to do that stuff. And the chicken has got to use all of its energy to push itself through. Now, if I let... That incubator dry so that the humidity is very low. The chicken will dry in the egg and stick to the shell. And no matter how much it pushes, it won't get out of the egg. God is like that humidity in our lives. Prayer is like the thing that keeps us moving. You stop praying, you're going to dry in your shell. You stop reading the word of God, you're going to dry in your shell. You won't get out of the shell because you'll get stuck somewhere here and you'll have the want to get out. I want to move, but you won't because you won't push through. You won't get out. You get caught in the shell and you can punch and punch and punch and then you'll say, push, 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 and you won't get out. Somewhere inside of you, you've got to get this will to break out of where you're at. And not just one of us, the whole lot of us, the flock of us have got to go, wow, that's out of here. That's why the cheeping is really important. You put a little, little egg by itself and it cheeps. It's listening for other little cheeps. The peeping, they call it peeping. The peeping is very important because they are not hatched one at a time. They are hatched as a group. 
And the cheep, cheep, cheep of each bird encourages each of them to break out. I watched and I thought, are these quails determined to kill other young quails? A couple hatch and they're cheeping. Cheep, 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 cheep. I think, what are they doing? And then they fight. They hear another cheep and they run over and I, I watch them. This is an amazing thing. They run over to an egg that's just starting to make holes. And they start sitting on the egg. It's, it's, it's going to be tough for that chicken to get out with you sitting on it. But they're sitting on the egg going, cheep, cheep, cheep. And the thing inside's going, cheep, 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 trying to break out. They're there encouraging it. If it pushes out and breaks out, it's, it falls out and it's wet. It's laying on the ground. It can't even move. Got its legs just pushed it out and go, oh, you know, the effort to get out of that shell. It was amazing. Hey, and I'm just laying here. I can't walk. I'm wet. I'm sloppy. And then all the other chicks come, oh, wet chicken. They all come and sit on it. Ha ha! Yippee, yippee, do! And they stand on it and they sit on the thing. You're standing on me. I just come out of a shell and you're standing on me. Yeah, we're so glad you got out of that shell. Yes, and it's so good. That's what they do. I know, I stood and watched. I watched for an hour. Genesis, where are you? Watching. Watching the chickens. Well, what's happening? God's speaking to me. I'm looking at the quails and God's speaking to me. You say that every time a person gives their hearts to Jesus, there's a party in heaven. All the angels come and sit on you. <laughs> New life. With me. Someone's getting out over there. All the angels go, oh, let's go and have a look at that. Jeep, jeep, jeep. Everybody, hey, look, this person just, oh, we're praying around. Oh, come on, come on. Push now, push now, push now. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And she comes. Woo! Oh, it's one now. Oh, there's another. Come on, come on, come on. Over here, and there's another one over here. And we get all excited. And pretty soon after a day, you've got a thing full of chicks going, chippy, 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 chip. It's the truth. That's what happens. It's true, isn't it, Farad? He looks, oh, I take them to Farad and say, look after my children. And Farad says, I will look after your children. If it's that way for a chicken, it's that way for us. You know, we have to cleanse ourselves. What the egg is, the stuff that holds us in and binds us up. It's the old life. It's the rigidity of the old life. It's the stuff that holds us, that stops us. And if we don't break out of it, it will kill us. Purge yourself off it. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, not so much in my presence, but now even more in my absence, says Paul. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you to work and to will for his good pleasure. I like it because that's God and it's you working together. You're stuck in there. The salvation is in you. Work out your salvation. Where is it? My salvation is here. Jesus saved me. Ah, yes, but my life is still covered with the shell of sin. My life is still covered with the, the bondages of the old life. Where I come from, God wants me to possess a new land. He wants me to break out of where I am, to step into something new. He wants me to, how can I do that? Beep, beep. 
People are talking to me. People are encouraging me to, to push now. People are encouraging me to break down those things. It's hard, Mark. It's hard. This shell is hard around me. It's been there for some time. I felt the restraint of it for some time. Are you asking me to punch that thing out? Yes, punch it out. Punch it out. Now you've got your lid free. Help me, Mark. Help me, Mark. I can't help you. You have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You have to get your legs in there and you have to say, I'm not staying here any longer. I've been here for years now. I don't know about these bondages in my life, but I'm not going to stay here. Push, push, push. And all the little chickens will come around and go for it, go for it. We can't do it for you, but you must do it. You cannot get out and be part of that journey for God unless you cleanse yourself from it. How many die in the eggshell? How many sit there? They get comfortable. I can't push anymore, Mark. It's too hard. I can't fight the addictions. Just let me be comfortable and go to sleep. You'll die in your shell. You have to break it out. You have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear if you don't. Tremble if you don't. Where will you be in another year? Locked in that shell again. Dead to it all again. God says, break out. With fear and trembling, break out. Don't get caught in your shell, friends. So in the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. So in the morning, everybody's looking and there, the priest, they've lifted it. It's on their shoulders. Everyone said, it's moving. Too many eyes are watching, it's moving. And it begins to move towards the river. And the Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. God is ready to do something. I'll tell you something. Keep your eyes on the Spirit of Jesus. Keep your eyes on God. When he starts to move, don't let your eyes stop. Watch him. He's going to do something amazing amongst us. We can feel it. We can sense it. And we know that God is doing it. You get out of that shell. And once you get out of that shell, keep your eyes on the mother chook. Look for the chook to follow. They go, beep, beep. And she goes, book, book. When you move, when she moves, you move too. You follow that chicken. God is like a one who broods over you like a chook. He sits there and he gets your hoe. Come on, come on, hatch. Now, once you're hatched, he says, come follow me. And he starts to move and you better keep in touch with him and keep him close with him. And they follow, follow, follow. My daughter had duck, a duckling. And the duckling thought that my daughter was the mother I know that Jade walks like a duck, but I don't think that she... <laughs> Everywhere Jade walked, the little duck would follow. Everywhere she went, she would follow. Are you my mother? I'm your mother. She would hose it down, flap its little wings. The duckling followed. When the ark moved, God was calling his people to follow. But listen... 
You shall command the priests who bear the ark of the covenant, saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Well, listen to me, folks. Belonging to the people of God is one thing. Oh, yes, we're part of a group. Yep. Following the direction of God. Yes, I'll be a good little chicken and follow you. Yep, that's one thing. Consecrating. Yeah, I've got to break out of that shell. That's another thing. Standing in a flood of Jordan? Now, that's just crazy. It's a test. Everything, according to your eye, would say, don't do that. We're told in verse 13 and onwards that at that time, the flooded Jordan, the Jordan was flooded. It had overflowed the banks because it was flooding. So you have two million people in this Jordan River, which is flooded, raging down that way. The priests now put, <laughs> you crazy. And they start walking towards the river. What do you want me to do? Follow? What, when I get to the side of the river, if you please, uh, just uh, like you did in the Dead Sea, a Red Sea, you know, could you just separate it and so we can walk in on dry ground? He didn't say that to them. He said, put your feet in the river. And so the priests began to and walk into the river. Now, this is a big ask, you know, because it's obviously impossible. You can't walk across a river, can you, when it's in flood? There's a lot of water coming down. But we're told that when they started to walk in there, the priest, it's in verse 13, it says, the priest will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream. And the river will stand up like a wall. So they don't even see it. As soon as the priest's feet touched the water, it flooded. Something dammed up the river upstream. It dammed it up. So the water just started to turn off. Somebody, like, somebody turned off the socket. A flooded river suddenly dries up. The water runs out. The water flows to the Dead Sea. And they're sitting there, standing now in the middle of the river with no water. Mate, if I was in Jericho, I'd really be shoveling. Oh, did you see that? You see that guy walked in there with that box on his shoulder? Did you see that? And the water stopped. It stopped. Yeah, but that's what God says to do. You know, we... we Look, you want to be part of this club? Yeah, it's a nice church club. Yeah, we belong together. Yeah, we do what God wants us. And then we're asked to do something really crazy, do something outside of our comfort zone, do something. God wants us to do something that seems impossible. Well, what would you do that for? You'll probably get swept away with the flood. And God says, no, you won't. Isaiah 59 says, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun when the enemy shall come in like a flood. The spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. I like that. Because that says to me, each one of us has to be willing to walk into a flood. Don't think and expect God to take all the evil away <clears throat> so that you can live a peaceful life. God will not remove the evil so you can live a peaceful life. 
God will keep the flood there. And he says, now walk into the flood. You walk into the flood and he says, I'll stop the flood. You just follow me. I'm going to do some great things now. But you have to walk into the water. Come walk into the water. And they say, I better, we'll get with, stop looking at the thing. The thing will stop when you walk and just keep on following me. And as we walk in there, as we keep walking in there, the flood stops up. God raises up a standard against it. You know, we get so intimidated about the things that could happen to us. We get so intimidated about all the stuff that could press on. You know, we do this as a lion outside. We better not go outside. It's going to be dark and dangerous if we walk in for God. You know, if I go street preaching, if I go out on street preaching, somebody might punch me in the head. Walk out there and do it anyway. Do it anyway. If it's dangerous, do it anyway. You know why? Because God will stop the flood. He's just looking for a heart that says, let's, let's go. Let's do it. Let's break the chains. Let's break off out of the shell. And let's follow what God is wanting to do. And he did a miracle. Was it any, was it any wonder that Jericho shook and fell over because these people had crossed the Jordan River and said, we're one. We're one with you, Jesus. We're going to follow where you lead us. Across a flooded Jordan, I will walk. And God shows that he's there with us. We celebrate that great thing together. Listen, my friends. We have to be willing to move, teachable, we have to be cleansed and we have to have bravery when we come moving for God. That's what we've got to do. So I want you to stand up right now. Stand up with me right now. And I want to do something different than we've done before. I want, I want you to break up into small groups around this place. So this group here together, that group on the stairs together, maybe a group here and a group here, group over the top there, group here and a group around here. And I want you to pray. You can't do this thing by yourself. It's a group thing. God, lead us as a fellowship. God, help us as a fellowship. God, take us together as a fellowship. And let's move together. So I want you to gather together. You might have to shift yourself around. That's all right. Come down from the top. Stand around together. And I want you to start praying. I've got some prayer points at the top there. These are things that you can pray for if you don't know what to pray for. But I want you to start praying for each one of you. You need to shake the thing. You need to get out of the, the thing that's holding you in. You need to be brave and follow God. You need to have strength to do the will of God. And I want you to pray together, encouraging one another. Pray and ask God to strengthen each other. Don't just stand there. But I want you to all pray and seek God to do something in your lives together. This is a, a corporate prayer meeting of your life. But come, pray for one another. Pray together. Take this time. Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, just begin to pray now in the Spirit. Hallelujah, Lord. We just come before you, Lord Jesus. Oh, God, that you would move us, oh, God, as a congregation. Lord, that you would shake us, oh, God, that we wouldn't get caught in the shell, Lord Jesus. Lord, move us forward in you, Lord Jesus. Give us teachability, Lord Jesus. Help us to be teachable, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus, to move on in you, Lord Jesus. Give us the ability, Lord Jesus, to shake off those things that hold us, Lord God. Lord, move upon us, Lord God. Give us strength and bravery this week, Lord Jesus. Bravery to step into the evil flood, Lord Jesus, and to shake it, Lord Jesus. 
Lord, we know that you're working with us, Lord Jesus. We know that you'll stop the flood, Lord Jesus. Lord, we know that you'll help us, oh God. We give ourselves to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, to move through us, oh God, we pray. Touch each one of us, Lord Jesus. Touch those who are struggling, Lord God. Minister your strength to them right now in Jesus' name. Lord, help each one, Lord Jesus, we pray. Oh, Lord, let your spirit so lead us and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name.